All right, good evening. Good to see everybody here this, this evening. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And it's good to have Brandon back tonight. I mean, we missed him this morning. Thankful for him. I don't know if you guys are. Understand how difficult that is to go into another church and to preach. And just kind of, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And, uh, and I've heard everything I've heard. He said he's done a great job this morning, so that's great. And we're proud of him and thankful for him. But if you've got your Bible, we'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this passage tonight, we're just going to look at verses 6 through 10. Uh, I was going to go the full, finish out the chapter, but we, I'm going to just stop halfway tonight. And this passage tonight is aimed at me. The bullseye is on my chest tonight. And I know that's, that's uh, good for you. You guys can kind of just sit and rest and say, this isn't going to convict me at all. This is all on Josh. And you can uh, uh, amen me if it were, where, where I talk about something that's, that's going to step on my toes. But uh, this, here's in this passage is what I must do and what I must be as a pastor. And I think it can be for you. I think it can be for other people too. In that uh, there's a lot of churches that have bad pastors. And they're looking for a church with a good pastor. And this passage that we're looking at tonight will show us what to look for in a pastor who's pastoring a church. And so people that are in churches with bad pastors and things are going bad, this is what they ought to look for. Uh, so that's good for people like that. I think it's good for people who are looking for a church. Let me find a church. What do I need to look for in a church? Find yourself a church with a good pastor. And then I think it's good for a church that has a good pastor, that you would truly appreciate the man of God that God has given you. Uh, so again, the, the, the bullseye's on me tonight, so let's uh, go ahead and look at this. The title of the sermon is How to Be a Good Pastor. Uh, so we're going to be able to tell the difference between a good pastor and a, and a bad pastor. So let's stand together, and we'll look at how to be a good pastor. I think there's probably seven or eight um, different things that, that a pastor needs to have to be a good pastor in this passage. I just want to show you four of them tonight, but I'm going to start in verse 6, and you'll see where I got the title at as we read. So starting in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, the word of God says, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So that's, where, that's the main phrase of the passage. Here's how to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Here's how to be a good pastor. Then it goes on, Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, uh, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself un, rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth a little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Amen. I'm going to stop in verse 11. I'll read verse 11. These things command and teach. So there's four things here that I want to show you that makes a good pastor, that a pastor must do if he wants to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. If he doesn't do these things, he's a bad pastor. If he does these things, no matter what you want out of him, he's a good pastor. So let's look at tonight the difference between a good pastor and a bad pastor, how to be a good one. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the passages like this. I know they're convicting for me. Uh, they're sometimes heart-wrenching. And I need them. I need the bullseye on my chest. I need to look at my life, my ministry, and my time and what I do. And I need to say, am I doing what you would ask me to do? Am I being a good pastor in your eyes? So God, help me to, I've worked through it all week, but help me now to present these things. To show the church what it means, what, I, what a pastor needs to do in order to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you'd make me a good minister. Um, 
that I would, again, I said it this morning, hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So God, teach us through this passage tonight. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You've all heard the story of the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I know you've heard it before. And it's a good, I have a good reason for starting out with this. You've heard the story that Goldilocks goes into the house and she, she goes in and she tries the porridge. And there's one porridge, you guys get it, one porridge that's too hot, one porridge that's too cold, and one porridge that's just, just right. And you have, she goes and sits down in the chair, I think. I didn't look it up, so I may get some of the details wrong. And she sits down in the chair. One is too hot, one is too hard, one is too soft, and one is just right. And she sits in that chair. Then she goes and lays down in bed. Same thing. One bed is too hard, one, one is too soft, and one is, is just right. And I, and I tell you that because I think there's a lot of churches out there that they're on the, on, on both sides of the extreme in what they expect of their pastor. One side can expect too much. One side can expect way too little. And then there's a, a medium there where it's just right, where we open up the Word of God and God tells us, here's what I expect and that's just right. I've been in a lot of churches. I've seen a lot of churches. I, I know both extremes. I know that there's that extreme where they have unreal expectations on the pastor. They expect way too much. They expect the pastor to be a superman. He's to work a hundred hours a week. He's to be a church man. He's to be available at all times. He's to do counseling and preaching and teaching and leading music and mowing and fixing and, and toilets and, and you name it, he's doing it. He needs to be there all the time. Uh, the, the unreal expectations. They have, may have even an expectation where a pastor was there for 35 years and you have to live up to the standard that that pastor had. I've seen that. I've had people look at me and they'll say, if you want to be a good pastor at this church, you need to keep everybody happy. That's an impossible, unreal expectation. You cannot keep everybody happy. There was one perfect man who ever lived and he didn't keep everybody happy. You guys know that that was Jesus. Uh, you can't put expectations on a pastor that you couldn't even put on Jesus. So you have some churches who give you unreal, out-of-this-world expectations. They want more of you than the Bible expects of you. They want more of you than God expects of you. They want you to visit everybody. They want you to be in the hospital. They want you to be there when people die and be there when their babies are born. And, and have all these things. I've had people tell me, pastors can't wear shorts. If you want to be a good pastor, you can't wear shorts. Okay, yeah, I like shorts. You can't go swimming. You can't, you know, all these different things. I've had people tell me these things, and, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, uh, you know, I've had your, your kids better behave themselves. Pastor's kids got to be the best behaved kids in the, in the church. Unreal expectations where they expect the pastor to be almost a Superman. And then on the other hand, you have churches that, as long as he's a man, <laughs> He don't have to be Superman as long as he's breathing. As long as he, he, he knows what a Bible is. As long as he knows the difference between a, a Bible and, a, and, a, and a, the Muslim Bible. As long as he's not too heretical. As long as he can get up and, and do maybe a sermon a week, about 20 minutes long. As long as he you know, can, can show up. That, that's what we want out of him. And those expectations are way too low. We don't expect anything at all out of him. So you have the too much and you have the too little. So what do we need? You need to just write. And I think that's what this passage gives us here. I want, we find out in, in this passage what God expects. And, and it won't be too much. And it won't be too little. It'll be just right. So as we've looked at this passage and we've looked at 1 Timothy, you see the key phrase here in, in verse 6 is thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. That's what, what we want to be. 
That's what I want to be. I love the word good there. You shall be a good pastor, a good minister. I want to be a good pastor. The word there is noble. It is excellent. It's admirable. It's uh, one worthy of appreciation. So that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. So here it is, plain and simple. In 1 Timothy 4, I think there could be as many as 12 things a pastor must do. But I'm going to give you tonight four of them. Four things God expects of a pastor. Four things every pastor must do if he wants to be a good pastor. So number one, you see that right there in verse six. A good pastor will correct error. He'll correct error. It says there in verse six, if thou shalt, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So what does he mean there by if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things? You gotta circle these things and find out what he means by that. What a, what does a good pastor remind his people of? And it goes right back to the first five verses. If you heard last week, uh, Paul was telling Timothy he had to correct some, some false doctrine. He had to go through, and, and there was all kinds of false teaching, one about marriage and, and one about how you eat was being uh, taught wrong in the church. So he says, you've got to go in there and correct these things. It's, it's wrong. So you've got to put the brethren in remembrance of these things. You've got to correct them. You've got to, the word remember there, you've got to give attention to. You've got to give an alert to. Uh, we keep alerts on our phones all the time. I mean, if I didn't have a phone telling me when to do things, I don't know that I'd ever be anywhere on time. My phone goes off. Chris's phone went off this morning. Somebody telling him what to, what to do. I mean, you, you got that blaring noise. That's what that remembrance is. It's a reminder of something going off to, to get your attention to see something. So he's telling us, you need a reminder. You need to get your attention on something that is false. A pastor should bring your attention to the false teachings. Amen. Here's what's wrong. To place in front of your people. That's what the word remember means. To, to point it out. To, to make aware of things that are wrong. Things that are false. Things that can cause apostasy, which, which we looked at in the first five verses. It has to be pointed out. Paul did that. I've already said that. He pointed out the very specifically here. In verse 1, he says, Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And, and, he, and he takes his finger and he says, here's what I'm pointing out. Here's what I, I want you to see. Here's what's wrong. They're forbidding to marry and commanding that you can't eat meat. That's wrong. I'm, I'm pointing that out. I'm bringing that to your attention. I'm showing you what is wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm flagging that as false. A good pastor understands the danger of false teaching and corrects it. A good pastor understands the potential of wolves in the church. And a good pastor will point it out. And will make it known. And will uncover it for what it is. Doesn't just let it go, but shows people here's what's going on and here's why you need to know this. It shouldn't be the bulk of a pastor's ministry where he spends all of his time correcting error. I, I don't think that's the case. I think I've seen some preachers who every week they're looking for the things that are wrong in the church and in the culture, and every, every week they preach correcting error. I don't think that's what we shouldn't be a constant negative ministry, but there should be some correcting of error. 
So a good pastor will correct error. A bad pastor, on the other hand, will never mention it. These things are too controversial. It's too negative. You'll make enemies. You'll run people off. You'll make people mad. A bad pastor will never uncover the false teachings. We'll never mention the church down the road that's teaching something that it shouldn't teach, that is that is possibly getting into the minds of our people, the, the things that are out there. It never brings it up. I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want a negative ministry. I only want to talk about what I'm for and not what I'm against. It makes for a very susceptible church that's open to all kinds of wolves. You need a pastor that's willing, that has a spine, that isn't a coward, They'll stand up even if it makes people mad and says, this is wrong. So a good pastor will correct error. And you guys can check these off for me if you want to. As you go through this, you say, has Josh corrected error in our church? Has he, has he, is he bringing things to attention? Has, has there an alert went off where he says, okay, this is wrong and I need to correct this? Has, has Josh done this? And if Josh has done this, then you can say, and you can judge that, Josh is a good pastor. Number two, not only does it correct error, a good pastor studies the word. Look what it says in the very next phrase. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into number two, which is he'll be nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. I love the word nourished there. Nourished is what you feed on. Nourish is your steady diet of. You have to be have good nourishment. I tell my kids that all the time. They go out and play sports and I say, you're going to have to eat before you leave. You've got to have fuel in your body. You've got to nourish yourself so that you can be strong to go out there and to perform. You can't go out there and play on a Snickers. It doesn't give you good fuel. You need a good meal. You need to, go to have nourishment. You need to be strong in your body. That's what it's saying here. The pastor must be fed on, have a steady diet of, what does it say? The words of faith and good doctrine. This takes us into the pastor's study. We all pack up now when we go into where I sit during the week. And what am I doing? Am I being nourished on a daily basis in the words of faith and good doctrine? This is in, in the pastor's office, his study, where he's alone. He must be every day continually taking in a steady diet of the words of faith. This is the Bible. This is uh, that he must be a, a man of one book. This is the, the word of God. This is the scriptures that he's, he's opening up the Bible and he's reading it and he's studying it and he's memorizing it and he's meditating on it and he, and he loves it and he eats it like it is the only nourishment that he he has. He may visit other good books, but he lives in the Bible. A good pastor lives in the Bible. This is in the classroom. I, you guys know that I'm big on seminary. I love seminary. I've been there twice. Spent six years in seminary. I think there's a reason that the seminaries exist. That there's the, You must see whether the, the pastor is willing to do the, the hard work of putting his face in the Bible and learning it, even in the classroom. But it doesn't stop there. It goes from the classroom to the office. You must always be nourishing yourself on the, the words of faith. Amen. And not only that, but it says in good doctrine. I like that he takes the scripture that he learns and he... 
lines it up and he organizes it and he puts it into, into, into the doctrines of the faith, into theological categories. And he, and he knows how to explain and he understands the, the deeper things of God and, and he's, because he's nourished on the word. He lines it up, he organizes it, he understands it. He's precise. The reformers were so precise that they said you could, you could cut their doctrine with a, with a knife. How precise they were in their, their words. He knows what he believes. So he's a, taking a steady diet of the words of faith and good doctrine. He thinks biblically. Charles Spurgeon, they said, so God said about him one time, if you cut him, he would bleed bibline. Just bled Bible. Can he sit in his study and think? Can he sit in his office and, and study for hours on end? Does he pray over the scriptures? You need a pastor who nourishes himself on the words of faith and good doctrine. That's not one meal a day or one meal a week. He is constantly feeding himself the truth of the word of God. They asked Billy Graham one time at the end of his life, if he had any regrets. And he said, if I had to do it all over, I'd spend more time studying and less time preaching. Nourished on the words of God. Fed on the words of God. And then it goes on. Look at this. Not only does he feed on good things. You see that? He's being nourished on. Look at this. And, and I want you to see almost like a, a table that's spread. That he's being nourished on the, the healthy things. He's being nourished on. He's, he's eating the, the good things. He's, he's taking in the Bible. He's taking in the words of faith in, in good doctrine. And he's pushing away. And he's not studying and, and wasting time on. Look what it says. But refuse. Push away. You don't want that. Don't spend your time on. Don't waste your time on profane and old wives' fables. You say, what in the world is that? That's the unhealthy, garbage, nonsense that can easily take the time from the preacher. You say, why does he call it profane? It's, it's, it's a waste of time. Old woman's stories is what that is. That things that people bring in, bring to you and say, well, you need to think about this. You need to teach on this. You need to, to, you need to understand this. And they're bringing all these, these little topics in that, that are useless, that are senseless, that have no place. That is taking the time away from the good nourishment into all these junk foods. It's empty. It's, a, it's a unprofitable. Don't go chasing every little thing. Don't go arguing over the tiniest little silly things. Spend your time being nourished on the words of faith and good doctrine. So let's move on from this point. A good pastor studies himself full. I mean, he's full of the Bible. A good pastor nourishes himself so that he can nourish others. A pastor that's not nourished on the Scriptures can't possibly get up and nourish others on the scriptures. This will never end. It'll never stop. You'll never be done. The only way a pastor can remain fresh, week in and week out, and say not say the same things over and over and over, is if he spends time being nourished in the Bible. Some pastors don't last very long in churches because they've only got about ten sermons. <laughs> 
And they'll preach those. It's, it's not 10. They'll pocket about 50. And they'll preach those in a church. And then they've run out of things to say. So they'll go to another church and, and just rehash those same old sermons again. And, and, and it's just over and over and over. Because they don't, aren't being nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine. If you spend the day being nourished in the scriptures, you'll never run out of fresh things to say. A bad pastor doesn't study. He's not feeding himself and he won't feed the church. Or he's not feeding them good things. He'll spend his time on the profane and old wives' fables. A bad pastor will spend time on things that have no value whatsoever. And he'll stand up and he'll preach things that aren't even, are not good nourishment for the church. We want a pastor who will feed us because he's been fed. The prayer for a pastor ought to be, it's a quote, I don't know who said it, nourish my soul that I may nourish the souls of others. So that's point number two. First, he corrects error. Second, he studies the word. Third, and we're making good time. I might might need to just go ahead and do all 12. First, he corrects error. Second, he studies the word. Third, He pursues personal godliness. He pursues personal godliness. I got a quote here. I love it. Robert Murray McShane said, My people's greatest need is my godliness. And that's what it says there in verse 7. And exercise thyself. There's the word exercise. I can't wait to tell you what that word means. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. You see that? Pursue, work out yourself, give it a daily discipline to be a godly person. That's what it says. I love the word uh, exercise. Get get this. Paul was a big on athletics. So he starts with that that, that second point with what we eat, our diet, that we've got to be nourished in the the words of faith and good doctrine. That should be what we bring in. And now here's what what we work out. It ought to be working out as we're bringing in a, a nourished diet. It ought to be working out a godly life. The more you take in of the word of God and good things, the more you'll work out godliness in your life. We ought to be pursuing godliness. Uh, Here's the word exercise. You guys ready for this? See if you know where we get this. It's a Greek word, gymnasio. Where do you think that word comes from? Every day I get up at 4.30 and I go to the gymnasio. (laughs) I should start my own gym and call it the gymnasio. That's That's where we get the word gym from. My boy, uh, boys just got them playing in a gymnasio yesterday, a game of basketball. I, I think that's a great word. It's a place in the, then in, in that time, they had gymnasios all over the place where your athletes would go and train and they'd work out and they'd get in shape. It, it, was, it was an athletic thing. That, that word exercise, they worked hard. Think Rocky Four. <laughs> Think... <laughs> Rocky Balboa in the, in the gymnasio and he's, he's punching he's, he, the punching bag and he's, he's running outside and he's working hard, lifting rocks and pulling ropes and he's working his muscles and he's breaking up a, breaking up a sweat. That's what this word means. It, it's to, to work hard, to break a, a sweat. Paul loved athletics. He loved wrestling. He loved, he talked about running. He talks about boxing. I don't think he talked about any of the Winter Olympics things that we're seeing right now, but he, he loved athletics. But this exercise was, was not for the body. You get that? 
exercise yourself not to get muscle. Right? It doesn't say that, does it? Exercise yourself. Work out. Work hard. Break a sweat. Give everything you got. Not to win a race. Not to get in shape. Not to run a marathon. Not to be a better athlete. That's profitable, it says. It even says that there. I I like that. It says bodily exercise does profit a little. So I'm not wasting my time when I go to the gymnasio. (laughs) So he says bodily exercise is okay. You need to be healthy. You need to to work out a little bit. It's got a, a little value. But that's not what he's telling us to exercise here. He's telling us to exercise ourselves. And he uses that word, exercise yourself. In verse 8 he says, bodily exercise profits a little. But we're not after bodily health. We're after spiritual health. The greater goal needs to be spiritual health. Godliness. That's what the word he uses here. It's profitable to be physically healthy, but it's even more profitable to be spiritually healthy. And he says we're working out to be godly. Godliness is to be the the main pursuit of a pastor. His aim, his goal, what he gets up to work out every single day. He trains to be godly, which means godly character. That's who you are. He's training daily to have a a godly character. It's godly living. He he wakes up every day so that he can live in in a godly way. John Calvin said godliness is the the beginning of the Christian life. It's the middle of the Christian life. And it's the end of the Christian life. It is all the Christian life that if we know the Savior, it will make us more godly. God isn't so much concerned about the pastor's giftedness as he is the pastor's godliness. Physical fitness is good. But it won't last. One day... I won't get up and go to the gym at 4.30 in the morning. One day I won't feel like it. One day I'll be achy and not able to do it. One day my physical health is going to go away, but godliness will last all the way into eternity. That's what he's saying. You need to prioritize yourself, preacher, and it needs to be more physical, not physical, but spiritual exercise than bodily exercise. That you need to be actively, personally, continually, consistently pursuing godliness. You need to work just as hard on your godliness as you do your biceps. (laughs) Biceps won't get you into heaven. Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't going to stand at at the gates of the judgment seat and say, Look at these. (laughs) It might help you here, but it ain't getting you anywhere there. Bodily exercise profits a little, but... Look what it says, godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of this life that now is and of that life which is to come. Pursue godliness. That's not an easy thing to do. It takes discipline to pursue godliness every single day. And and I, I compare it to those things. Think about it. On one hand, to be able to be bodily healthy. We've already talked about the diet, but just in the exercise, you've got to get up. And you wake up in the morning and think, this is too early for anybody to be awake. But in order for me to be bodily healthy, I've got to get up and I've got to go do this. 
So that I can be what I need to be for my church and for my family and for my wife and for my kids. I need to be healthy. So I'm going to get up. The alarm clock goes off at 4.30 and and I snooze that thing at least three times. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But there's this one that says, you've got to do this. If you want to be healthy, do this. And you get up and you go and you and you sweat and, and you work and you and you grunt and you run and you push yourself as hard as you can to be healthy. I come home and say, why do you do that every day? I want to be healthy. It takes the same, if not more, effort to be godly. And you just don't see a whole lot of people putting that effort into being godly. I've got to get up early. And I've got to pray. Some preacher once said one time that I've got such a busy day ahead of me that I had to spend at least two hours in prayer before I even got started. I've got to pray. I've got to discipline myself to prayer. I've got to discipline myself to Bible reading. I've got to discipline myself into what my eyes see. If I'm watching ungodly things, it won't help me to be a godly person. I've got to discipline myself and be able to say, everybody's watching that, but I'm not going to watch that because my church needs my godliness more than they need my giftedness. I can't hear that. I can't say that. I'm disciplining myself unto godliness. You've got to have a pastor that does that. Discipline every day. I want, to, I want to fast and I'm going to pray and I'm going to study and I'm going to memorize. And I'm going to do everything I can to be a, a godly man in how I live. That's what you need. You sweat just as hard to be godly as you do to be healthy. And I'm not even talking about you. Who's the bullseye on? This guy. Good pastors pursue godliness. Bad pastors have other pursuits that are more important. I read this week that bad pastors are spiritually flabby. <laughs> They're out of shape. They sit on the couch and watch TV. They eat junk food. They live ungodly lives. A good pastor pursues godliness. It's his aim, it's his pursuit, it's his goal to be more godly every single day. And he says there in verse 9, and I'll move on from this. I told you I'd like that exercise one. He says, and this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation. And that goes with verse 8. So he's saying there, everybody knows this. I don't even have to repeat this. Everybody knows, everybody knows It's better to be godly than it is to be physically healthy. Everybody knows that. If you ask somebody right now, which would you rather be? Spiritually godly or physically healthy? Everybody knows the answer. I'd rather be godly. So he says everybody knows this, but very few practice this. We live in an age right now where everybody is obsessed, and I'm one of them, with being healthy and what we eat and what we drink and how we work out. He says we ought to have, this is, we ought to have more people obsessed with being godly than we do being healthy. And I think you can do both. But number one ought to be godly. So a good pastor, get this, and you guys can check those off if you think I got it. Then, then, then good. If you think I don't, then bad. <laughs> a good pastor corrects error. 
A good pastor studies the word. A good pastor pursues godliness. A good pastor works hard. You guys have heard the statement. I've heard it more times than I could even count. If I had a, a dime for everybody, every time somebody told me, a pastor only works on Sunday, he's got an easy job. I'd be a millionaire. You've heard that. Oh, pastor, you don't, what do you do the rest of the week? You know? But look what it says here. A good pastor works hard. Verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. Do you see that? We labor and we suffer. A good pastor labors and he suffers. And it all goes with the athletics of this. this I mean, he just, here's what we eat. Here's how we work out. Here's how hard we work. You see a lot of people, they'll go in the gym. I see it all the time. I saw a guy in the gym the other day, and he didn't move from sitting there looking at his phone. 45 minutes. I said he could have done that at home, but he probably felt better. Where have you been all day? Gym. Gymnasio. <laughs> you guys learn a Greek word tonight. <laughs> he says, no, 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 we, we work hard. Good pastors work hard. Good pastors aren't lazy men. You can't be a lazy pastor and be a good pastor. Therefore, we both labor and we suffer. I said that this morning, and it just run all over me, that article where they said... Laziness is a virtue. We all need to be more lazy. We're working ourselves to death. It says, for therefore we both labor and we suffer reproach. That word labor there, get this, is a word for effort, toil, working to the point of ex exhaustion, working to the point where you have absolutely nothing else to give, that your tank is empty, that you've given it all that you have, a football coach would say that you've left it on the field. That you ain't got nothing left. That you're giving it all. You're giving maximum effort. That's what the word labor means. That's, that's what we hear that word now. Hard labor. This generation hates the term hard labor. But he says here that's what a pastor ought to do. He ought to be a man of hard labor. And then he gives us another word here. that he It says suffer reproach. But the, the word is agonizomai. I'm giving you another Greek word tonight. Agonizomai. You guys know where that word we get from that? To agonize? That's what the word means. That's, the, that's to, to work to the point of pain. To work to the point of discomfort. You, you guys know that when you, when you work out or you're running, you'll hit a wall where there's, where there's a, a pain threshold where your body says, quit. This is agonizing. No more. A good athlete says, I'm pushing through that barrier. I'm not looking past the pain, even the, the agony, and I'm, I'm going to keep going. That's what this is. To push past the pain and the discomfort. To push beyond the limits. To, to fight through like an, like an athlete or, or a runner. You get the picture? This is a pastor who's working hard, who's laboring, who's giving everything that he has to the point of, of agony. And a pastor can say he works like that. <laughs> and I think most pastors would. I was preaching this at a pastor's conference right now. Everybody say, Amen! Preach it, brother! That's us! Nobody knows how hard we work. <laughs> you can say you work hard. But everybody in the pews, and they can believe you. Yeah, my pastor works so hard. 
But the truth comes out the second you stand up here. And when you stand up here, there's no place to hide. When you open up the Bible and you're getting ready to preach, everybody knows what he's been doing all week. He ain't done nothing this week. <laughs> Look at me. He's only got two points this week. <laughs> What's he been doing? He ain't been laboring and acting his mind. <laughs> it's all shown right here. Has he been doing anything this week? There's nothing you can hide when you get behind the pulpit. A good pastor gives all that he has. I love that. I'm, you know, I love sports. Gives all that he has, leaves it all out there, and holds nothing back. And why on earth would a pastor do this? Here's his motivation. Because doesn't everybody need motivation? We had that tournament yesterday for Isaiah's and Christian's basketball team, and they walked in, and, and it was, it was, it, I loved the way they did it. There's like 10 teams walking in, and over on the scorer's table, there's two big old trophies. And Isaiah sat down beside me. He said, Dad, you see that? I said, yeah. I said, you're, you're playing for second, right? <laughs> he saw the trophies. He said, that's what I'm after. That's my motivation. That's what I'm playing for. So what is the pastor playing for? He's got his diet where he's taking in the good and pushing away the bad. He's got his exercise where he's exercising himself unto, unto godliness and he's working and he's toiling and he's agonizing and he's giving everything that he has. Almost, I mean, it's, it's almost like he's picturing an, an Olympic athlete training in this, in this passage. Why is he doing that? He gives us the reason. For therefore we both labor and we agonize. There's, there's the word, agonizma. Because, you see that? Here's the reason. Here's the motivation. Here's why the, the pastor does what he does. And there's two motivations here. The one that he serves and the goal that he's after. We'll say the, the if you're an athlete, it's the, the name on the jersey that you play for and it's the trophy that you want. The name on the jersey and the trophy that you want. Here's who we play for. That's the name on the jersey. So who do we play for? Because we trust in the living God. (laughs) That's so good. It goes back to last week or the week before when you had the temple of Diana that was a a false god, a a no god, a a, a dead god, a a god that couldn't see, a god that couldn't hear, a god that could do nothing for you, a a god that is is made of hands, a god that is made up, a god that is of of wood or or metal, a, a no god. Who in their right mind would work and labor and strive and agonize for a god like that? Nobody would. Oh, but a pastor. He's got the living God. He's got the one true and and living God. He's got uh, God the Father and God the Son and and God the Holy Spirit. He's got somebody that He does all this for. For His Savior and His Lord, Jesus Christ. And all that He wants is to give a little bit more because Jesus has given so much to Him. He serves The living God. That's the name on the jersey. You guys know that I love Pound. 
And I used to go out, and I, I wasn't much. I said this morning I was a great athlete. I was mediocre at best. But I'll tell you what I did. I played hard. And I played with that name across the chest. Every time I went out there, whether they, I knew whether it was football, basketball, or baseball, I'm going to give my all today for pound. For those mighty, mighty, mighty Wildcats. <laughs> yeah. Pounds. There's some pound people here. And now that you become a Christian, the name on the chest is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I may not be much as a pastor, but I'll give my all for Jesus today. And I'll give my all for Jesus tomorrow. And I'll give my all for Jesus on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. I may not be much, but I'm playing for the living God. I serve the living God. That's the one I play for. That's the one I strive for. That's the one I agonize for. That's the one I exercise myself unto godliness for. It's not about being a man pleaser. It's about being a God pleaser. Live for the glory of God alone. Sola de gloria. It's not about pleasing men. This is why we work. This is why we do what we do. For the living God. People can say, Josh, you do it for the money. You do it for the, the fame. <laughs> you do it for... And they can claim and say whatever they want to say about me. But I do what I do for the living God. And what else? I'm going to give you one more. You guys glad I'm not doing 12 points tonight? We trust in the living God. Here's our trophy. Here's what we're after. Who's the Savior of all men? Especially of those who believe. You say, what's this about? I think this is our prize. Others go after a medal or they go after a, then they'd go after a wreath, one of those things they put on their heads. They'd stand at the judgment seat, the bema seat, and they'd be judged and, and they'd stand on their little podiums and they'd have those things put on their head and a medal around their neck and they'd play for that. That was the prize. That was what they were after. We labor for the living God and we go after the prize, which is to see people saved. I love that, but we want to see people saved. And it says here that Jesus is, and, and a lot of people go into, I mean, the commentators would take chapters on what this verse means. The Savior of all men. Is that universalism? Does it save everybody? Is everybody going to be saved in the end? That's nonsense. That's not what this means. He's the only Savior that man has. There will be no other Saviors. They will be offered no one else. Only one Savior came. Only one Savior lived. Only one Savior died. Only one Savior was buried. Only one Savior was resurrected on the third day. Only one Savior was ascended. Only one Savior is coming back again one day. Only one Savior that you can believe in that will forgive you of your sins. Only one Savior for the entire world. There's only one. That's why we do what we do because the whole world needs to hear about one Savior. We serve the living God and we tell everybody about one Savior. And it says here, there's only one Savior, only, only one hope. And he's, he's the Savior, the only Savior the world gets. But He's especially the Savior of those who believed in Him. 
Man. He's the Savior of everybody. The only one that everybody will get. But he's especially our Savior. They can say, oh, he's the Savior. Jesus the Savior. But he's especially the Savior of us. Who've put our faith in him. And we want them to put their faith in him too. That's the prize. That's why we work. That's why we do what we do. It's always to be about pleasing God and reaching men. Do you get that? Not pleasing men. Pleasing God and reaching men. That's why we do what we do. That's why we work hard. That's point number four. We'll do the rest next week. A bad pastor doesn't get this. A bad pastor doesn't have the right motivation. I think God will be the judge of hearts and motivations. Why do you do what you do? Because I think you can work hard. I think you can toil and you can labor and you can agonize. I think you can take in the right diet and push away the bad stuff. I think you can exercise yourself into godliness. I think you can do all those things, even correcting error. And at the end of the day, if you're doing it to please men, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. We've got to get to this point here where we're doing it to please God and to reach men. Bad pastors don't get that. Bad pastors don't understand how great a Savior we have. Bad pastors... Don't labor and strive for him. They're, they're lazy. They go, they go through the motions and, and they're doing it for the wrong motives and for the, the wrong reasons. But a good pastor gets it. He knows we have a great Savior. He knows we have the only Savior. He knows that he's especially a great Savior to those who believe. He gets it. He knows. And that's why he preaches that Savior. That'll go into to verse 11 where he teaches with authority. We'll talk about that one next week. I've already got it outlined. I won't have to agonize my too hard this week. But a good pastor understands how great a Savior he has. And that is the ultimate motivation for all of his hard work. We know how great our Savior is. And isn't he a great Savior? And that's why we celebrate tonight what we do at this table. Because we know how great our Savior is. It should never be about how great the man is. That's a bad pastor. When he wants you to see how great he is. It should always be about how great the Savior is. A good pastor, and I'm just going to keep going. A good pastor. Shows his people how great the Savior is. That he's a Savior of, it says there, all men. But especially those who put their faith in him. And when you see how great the Savior is, he's worth every last bit of the labor and the effort and the toll and the exercise and the agonisma that you could ever give. When you see how great the Savior is, there's nothing that you won't give back to him. So that's what I want you to That's why I'm stopping there. I think it's a great place for us to stop and to say, Jesus is a, oh, how great my Savior is. And then we get to celebrate how great he is here at the table tonight.
So let's pray together and we'll take the Lord's table. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Um, I know it's convicting for me. Am I these things? I want to be. I desire to be. I want to work like this and labor like this and to agonize like this. I want to study like this. I want to exercise myself unto godliness. I want to correct error. I want to do all these things. And I want to do it with the right motivation to please you and to reach men. So God, would you please help me to do that? To never lose sight of these things. To keep this passage in front of me today and for the rest of my ministry. It, it probably even needs to be on the wall of my office somewhere. This is what makes a good pastor. And God, I, I pray that I would be that for this church. But ultimately for you. And God, we thank you tonight as we come to the table that we have a great Savior. I love that this verse says, and that's the reason we stop there, the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. I'm thankful we have a, a Savior like that. That there's not a person in this world that if they put their faith in him and believe that he wouldn't save. Oh, what a Savior our Savior is. And I pray, God, tonight as we come to your table that we would do it in a way that honors you. That we would do it in a way, and I know we don't always do this, but that celebrates you. And that remembers what it is that you have done for us. For those who, especially those who believe. So God bless this time here tonight. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.